God, we, uh, uh, gosh, we're grateful for your word. God, we're grateful for uh, just stories of repentance. God, we're grateful for stories that lead us, God, back to you. Um, and may anything I say that's a result of my fallenness and sinfulness, God, may it not even be heard, but may your word be so incredibly profound that it just resonates in our hearts and then convicts us, God, and challenges us to walk out of here differently. God, speak to us through your spirit and through your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um. <clears throat> So, I don't know about you, um, I'm directionally challenged. Anyone else in the room? Directionally challenged, you get lost easy? Hmm? Don't act like you're so much better than I am. Some, so, I get lost pretty easily. Um, there's this stigma in our day and age that men can't ask for directions. Is this true? No. It's kind of like, no. Um, it's kind of like... You ever like been in the backseat of the car, mom and dad are driving somewhere, and <laughs> mom is in, mom's riding shotgun, and she starts to look left and right, and then she like says something like, hey, we've driven by that house before. Hey, I've seen this car. I, I think we're lost, <laughs> you know, and dad barks back, we're not lost. I know exactly, I, I thought I saw something, I thought I needed to... Uh, turn around you know like there's just some sort of excuse like there's this stigma where you know if mom ever were to say hey why don't you ask that person there what's dad usually say oh my I'm fine I don't need I don't need his help <laughs> I'm good uh, there's just something about uh, asking for directions and uh, I just need to confess to you that I am not proud in any way of my directional abilities if I ask someone for directions um, I will, I will, first off, I'll gladly use my GPS no matter where I'm going. Um, I'll, there's no shame there. I just, I will just use it. Um, we may die today, guys. Um, so if you don't know the Lord, let's, let's get real here. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, anyway, um, <laughs> seriously, this is, this is how I go right here. Um, that would be a lot more heroic story than that, but no, this is it. Um, team kids, team kids is what did me in. <laughs> so, um, so I may stop and ask a person, but something bothers me when I ask someone for directions. This has nothing to do with anything, but I just need someone to at least hear me out here. When I ask someone for directions, they start using a different language, like words, like north and south. Like you want to head east here? Like okay, Daniel Boone or Lewis and Clark. Let's like tell me, do I turn at the McDonald's or the Big Tree? You know, <laughs> like don't use these this new language that I've never heard of because I don't use these directions. But I think my dad would probably be really either feel like he failed or <laughs> like he'd be really upset with me if I if you heard me say that. My dad's a truck driver, so he's very familiar with the streets and uh, he's very aware directionally. But that is not me, and I'm sorry, Dad. Um, but in all seriousness, no, getting lost, first off, who, who's just been lost before? Whether it's in a vehicle or you lost your parents in the store as a kid, that's a, that always freaks a kid out. Except the part where you're like, oh, well, at least I'll find the cookie aisle, and then I should be good. But, you know, getting lost is no fun. 
There's been a number of times where I've just had to turn around completely to come back to where I started because I was so lost. Um, and that's a hard place to be. It takes a little bit of humility to get to that point of just completely turning around and going back to where you came from because you were lost. So today, um, tonight, what we're going to discover um, is going to be actually something that is unfortunately not, not very often do we talk about this very thing of completely turning around because we're lost. Turning around because we're lost. Um, the truth is, though, is that we, what we talk about tonight is going to carry us um, in our spiritual lives more than we care to admit, um, but it's something so incredibly necessary and essential to our walks with the Lord. Um, so Luke 15, verses 1 through 2, Jesus is talking here, and he's telling us a story, but before he even tells us a story, Luke gives us the context of who's hearing this story. All right, and so this is very important. Whoever's hearing this story, okay, it's very crucial we understand the audience that Jesus is speaking to. And it says this, verses 1 and 2, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Who is the audience? Yes, someone say it louder. Verses, verse 1, someone said it and it was right. Yes, this is not a trick question. The audience Jesus is talking to, tax collectors and sinners, okay? They were approaching him to listen to him. Verse 2, and the who? Pharisees and scribes were doing what? They were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, see, we're going to encounter these people... Um, there's four of them. Let's say the four together. What's the first one? The four characters we're talking to, the audience. Who's the audience? Uh, tax, tax collectors, sinners, sinners Pharisees, Pharisees, and scribes. Okay? So, tax collectors, tax collectors could be seen as kind of like the IRS agents today. The ancient Jews despised them as traitors to the nation and supporters of their oppressors. Okay, so tax collectors weren't seen in a good light in this day and age. Then, then you got the sinners. Okay, the sinners, this goes towards all the immoral type of people living contrary to God's word. So you got the tax collectors, not really well liked. You got the immoral people who are just living contrary to God's word. And they did what? They approached Jesus. They came up to him. Like, Jesus didn't say, hey, I need to go up to these people because they're doing wrong. Like, they came to him. They approached Jesus, and Jesus is going to teach them. But there's a problem, and the problem's in verse 2. What's happening in verse 2? What's happening in verse 2? The Pharisees and the scribes are complaining. So you got these, these people that aren't well liked, and they approach Jesus to hear from him. But then you have the Pharisees and the scribes, and as Stacy so eloquently pointed out to us years ago, the Pharisees are the hoity-toities. Like, they're the ones that, like, hold fast to the law and just 
they cling to the outside appearance of just looking the part. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were complaining. And what were they complaining about? I can't believe Jesus is eating with these people. You know, and the thing is, this, this, what, the, what the Pharisees and scribes are telling these people, like what they're complaining about, should be something that's very comforting to us. Right? Like, he, Jesus eats with sinners. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Like, that should be a good sentence. But because we know who's saying it, and they're complaining about that. They're complaining about the very thing that we love about Jesus, is that he eats with them and welcomes them. See, the reality is, their complaint should actually be words of commending Jesus instead of condemning Jesus. But the beautiful thing is that what the Pharisees and scribes said is that, well, I love that, that Jesus is like that. I love that Jesus eats and welcomes sinners. I love that about Jesus. So, that's the, the foundation of who Jesus is even talking to. He's got four different people here. And I don't want you to forget this, guys. He is talking to the tax collectors and the sinners, but you also got the Pharisees and the scribes. Okay? Don't forget these people because this is crucial to the story. Now, let's jump down to verse 11 because Jesus is going to go into a story. And this is a story, like I said, you're familiar with it, but I've been praying against familiarity, that we see this with fresh eyes and soft hearts. So verse 11 in Luke 15 says this. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to him. Now let's stop here because this, this was a sign of deep, deep disrespect the fact that he would ask of his father to give me your estate like you're asking that while your dad is still alive you're wishing that he were to be dead so that you can gain financial reward he can't like we can't truly imagine the hurt that comes when a son or daughter wishes that their creator is like i wish that you weren't even alive like, can you imagine just how hurt the dad must feel for your son to just say, can you give me what you're going to give me when you die? Can you just give it to me now, though? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. Like, the hurt that must have packed to the father. This son is wishing that he had the father's things without the father. Like, this is so hurtful to the father. This son. In this culture, this, if, it wouldn't be unheard of. Like, get this. If the father had this actually happen, um, it wouldn't be unheard of for the father to disown his son for such a request. Like, the father could easily just say, you know what, you're, you're not a part of my family anymore. Because of, what, because of the, the like. Just for the audacity to ask that, you're no longer a part of the family. Like, it wouldn't be unheard of for that to happen. But the father doesn't do that. See, the father has for his son a love that is so great 
that he actually divides his life and gives it to his son anyway. He gives what the son's asking. The father in this moment endures the loss of honor and even endures the pain and rejected love because the father loves his son. And the love of the father towards his son is unwavering, though. Like, he doesn't cave. He is patiently bearing the agony the son laid upon him. The hurt of the father is very, very real. Can you guys just kind of picture, like, the weight of this question that the son has asked of the father? Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. Verse 18, I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Now see, this is a very powerful moment in the life of, of the younger brother. He's in the pigsty when he comes to his senses and sees the wrong that he's done. The younger brother makes a specific request to his father. He says, make me one of your hired servants. Make me a hired worker. Take me on and I'll pay back my debt. So here's the plan of the son. The son is like, I... He knows he's disgraced his father and his family, and therefore the entire community, like the son's aware of this. I've, I've disgraced my father to no end. Because of this, a simple apology um, isn't enough. Like he wished his father dead, which is atrocious behavior. A simple apology isn't enough. So the son's plan is like he needs to make it right, but how? How can the son possibly make this hurt right? Essentially, the son's plan is that I know, Father, that I've separated myself from you. You have no right or obligation to take me back into uh, the family. But if you teach me, I can be hired man. I can learn a trade or a skill and come back and make it right and pay off the debt. I could possibly pay off the money you've given me. Like, that's the son's plan, which is it's not a bad plan. I'm going to come back. I'm going to work. I'm going to work really hard. And maybe, maybe one day we can be a family again. So he practices his speech in the pigsty, wishing that he even just had the pig's food to eat because he's starving so badly. So he practices his speech into the pigsty until he's ready to give the final speech to his father so maybe his father will take him back. Verse 20. So the son got up, and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. 
See, in general, um, this would not be socially acceptable in the Middle Eastern culture. Children can run, women can run, even young men can run. But landowners, like pillars of the community, it is not socially acceptable for you as a landowner, a pillar of your community, to hike up your robe and to run. It's unheard of. Like, you don't do that. But the father runs after his son like a little boy. Like, that's, you just kind of get the imagery of what's happening here. Like, I imagine the father even hurtling over the family fence, you know, to even get to the son. Like, this, this picture of a father hiking up the robe, doing something that isn't naturally, like, socially acceptable. Like, a, it's just such a bizarre kind of love that the father has for a son who just so disgraced him and willingly left the house to live in their own way. But the father has such love for his son. See, not only did the, like, the son embarrass his family, he, didn't, he wasn't just rebellious. Like He willingly chose to leave the house. Um, but this father, like it... I don't know, like the father, the father in this story is different. You know, the father in this story um, openly shows emotion and kisses his son. Can you imagine the surprise of the son's face? Like, oh, this is what unforeseen kiss is like. Any David Crowder fans? No? Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> you know, like this is, oh my gosh, like my dad just kissed me like that. <laughs> like... What just happened here? You know, like, can you just imagine, like, I squandered your money. I wasn't supposed to get that until you died. But I got it now. And I, I don't have any, like, I, I spent it all. And I didn't even, like, invest it. I just, I, like, I spent it wildly in sinful ways. Like, and the father showed such emotion to his son, such love to his son. So the son tries to roll out his proposition to his father. He tries to give his speech. Uh, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe, which was more than likely the father's robe. Go get my robe. Put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. See, the father is saying, you don't have to pay off your debt. But I'm just going to take you back. You don't have to work. You don't have to work for years and years and years to pay off the debt. I'm just going to take you back. You don't deserve it. I don't have to do it. But I love you so much. I'm just going to take you back. Verse 23, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now see, meat in this culture is a delicacy. 
there was no, like it wasn't common for meat to be in a, in a normal meal. Like meat was reserved for special occasions and parties and festivals. It wasn't common. And especially, especially the fattened calf. Like this is once in a lifetime party kind of meat right here. The fattened calf. There's nothing quite like it. Word spread quickly, and there was a party happening in honor of the son who was taken back by the father. From the perspective of the younger brother, here's what we can learn from we can learn about the character of God. From the younger brother's perspective, the love God has for you far outweighs. The love that God has for you far outweighs any kind of wrong you've ever done or will do. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've gone, or what you've done. The Father will gladly take you back, but you have to come back home. You have to come back home. There's no evil that the Father cannot pardon. Someone needs to hear that. There is no evil that the Father cannot pardon. You are not so bad. Like you, oftentimes we think our sin is too great for God to forgive. And you need to hear you are not that special. In the most loving way possible to say that. Like your sin is not that great. Jesus is stronger than your sin. There is no evil that the Father cannot pardon. There is no rebellion that can stand toe-to-toe with the grace of God. See, we see the Father pounce on the Son with love and grace before the Son even gets a chance to get his act together. Now, this is a great part of the story. I love this part of the story, but the best part of the story has yet to even happen. Follow me along here. Um, Let's read up on the furiousness of the older brother now, because this is where it gets good. Now, it's his turn to disgrace the father. Okay? Verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Verse 27. Your brother's here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf. Like, he's like, the fattened calf that I've been feeding for years on end? <laughs> like, he'd be so mad. Like, you're kidding me. Like, the fattened calf. Like, the once-in-a-lifetime meat is, is, is for my brother. Who's put our family through such torment and disgrace and embarrassment and shame. Like, that fattened calf? Are you kidding me for my brother? Like, can you imagine the furiousness of the brother? Your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. See, this is probably one of the biggest parties the father has ever thrown. Right here. And it was for his long lost son. And the older brother is casting his vote of disapproval of what is happening. So the father steps outside to the older brother. Again, another undignifying thing for the father to do. The father's hosting a party 
In this culture, it was not polite. It was unheard of for the host to step outside and leave his very own party. But he does it for who? For his son. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Now see, the older brother is upset about the cost of everything. The fattened calf, the fact that the son is back, get this, means that the family now is back to normal again, which means when the father actually dies, guess what? The inheritance is split again. Like there's a lot of cost happening here. He didn't use it well. He didn't use the inheritance well. He didn't use it for its intended purpose. And now the younger brother gets the inheritance again. The older brother is like, I keep getting left out of the picture. He's frustrated. The older brother is adding it all up and saying, I've never disobeyed you. I've done everything right. I never left your side. I have rights. You can't do this. I deserve this. You have no right to do this. What the son has failed to realize is that what the father has done and is currently doing costs way more than the calf ever did. What the older son is doing is also grounds for disownment. And the father is tenderly and patiently pleading that this son too comes back in the house. In this story, both sons are wrong. But both sons are deeply loved. The, the son that left the house was absolutely wrong. And the father wanted him back in the house. The older son never left his side. But he too was wrong with his self-righteousness. And the father was also pleading with him to come back in the house. See, you got the you got the Pharisees and you have the scribes. They they were the ones that did they did a lot of things right. They physically did a lot of things right for the father. But they too are outside of the house. And you have tax collectors and sinners who are immoral. They're doing things wrong. They're not acting properly. They are doing things wrong against the Father. They're living contrary to God's word. They too are outside of the house. The audience Jesus is speaking to, not only is he speaking to us, but he is speaking directly to the audiences, to the older brothers and the younger brothers saying, get back in the house. I want you back inside. You're lost. And whenever you're lost, you need to turn around. You need to come back home. Verse 31, the father's talking. He says, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost and now he's found. And just like that, the story ends. It's kind of frustrating. I want to know what happened. <laughs> what did the older brother do? Fill me in. Like, what happened? Like, this is kind of frustrating. But the reality is we can at times find ourselves living a younger brother life. But isn't it true that we resonate a little bit more with the older brother? Because we don't, or we choose to not see our own sin. We're blind to our own sin, but we see the other sins of everyone else perfectly. But at the same time, our sin also takes us outside of the house. And God's saying, hey, snap out of it. I want you, hey, I want you to come back inside. Because our sin removes us from fellowship with the Father. It takes us outside the house. And God's saying, I want you back inside. I want you back home. That's what sin does. Sin does that. It takes us outside of the fellowship of God. It separates us from the Father. It takes us outside the house. So what do I need to do if I'm outside the house of the Father? What do I need to do? And we see it as a perfect example. The younger brother does this perfectly. And we need to learn from the younger brother. Because the younger brother does this, one thing. Repent. He repents. And what, is, what does that mean? You turn completely from your sin. That's what it means to repent. You turn completely from your sin. Now what that means is that you, um, your sin is taking you out of fellowship with God. It's taking you outside the house. It separates you from the Father. And God is waiting and waiting and waiting for you to turn around and come back home. The younger son didn't bring back something with him from his previous life. Because, see, I think we carry our sins around like a pet because we're not really hating our sin. We don't really hate it like we ought. But I'm actually just going to take it around with me and just say, well, I have reason to because that person hurt me really bad so I can gossip. Or my addiction to pornography, well, I just stumbled across it innocently. I didn't mean to, but now I'm, now I'm addicted, so... I'm stuck. It's my bent. You know, like we just carry it around like a pet where we just try to hide it. We try to come back in fellowship with God, but in reality, like that, that lifestyle doesn't work. This played out in my life because I had an addiction to pornography. And I tried to hide it. And I tried to live in fellowship with God, but I kept getting removed from the house. It kept taking me out of fellowship with God, and I really wasn't hearing God the way I ought to have heard God. My addiction took me out of the house, and God was waiting patiently for me to come back home. God's like, just, I want you to come back home. I want you to leave that life completely. Don't bring it back with you. It's not welcome in the house. Coming back home looked like leaving that life in the pigsty and returning back to the palace. I prayed for a heart that would hate my sin. I think sometimes we 
don't truly hate our sin. We like the euphoria it brings. We like the acceptance. We like the pleasure. It brings us things that we are shooting for, like status. Whatever the case, the bottom line is that we don't really care that it takes us out of fellowship with the Father. We need true repentance in our life. Actual repentance. The younger brother did not bring back a bottle of booze with him and say, Father, I'm so sorry. And the father's like, what's that in your hand? I don't think you're sorry. You know, like there is a difference between true repentance and what we try to see as repentance. Like there is a vast difference when it comes to true repentance and then just being sorry that we messed up. True repentance leaves the pigs in the pigsty. We need to run to the Father and allow Him to tenderly and patiently welcome us back into the house. True repentance does a beautiful thing. True repentance allows us to see the holiness of God and the wretchedness of our sin. We see the fullness of our sin and you stop making unholy demands of God because once you experience the patient and tender love of the Father and He welcomes you back into the home, you realize, I don't deserve this house. You're going to stop griping about things that don't matter. You're going to start being grateful for the grace of God because you know as well as I do that we all deserve the pigsty. You start to walk humbly and full of gratefulness because you know that your sin separated you from a father that had an awesome home and you wanted a pigsty. You start walking with a little bit of gratefulness and you become grateful for the cross. The cross Jesus bore and died on. And the death Jesus died so that you could be welcomed into the house of the father again. So if you're here tonight and you've been hanging out in the pig pen. Come back home. Come back inside. God in his faithful abounding love is waiting for you to come back home and he will welcome you. He will not chastise you. He will not reject you. He will receive you with the warm embrace of a loving father. He will give you the ring of sonship and daughtership. That's a word today. He will throw a party for you in return. He will gladly welcome you back home, but it does mean that you need to leave your sin in the pig pen and come back home to God where he's waiting for you in the palace. He's waiting for you. We, guys, we need to come to a point of true repentance where we turn completely from our sin and come back home to the Father. Will you pray with me? God, I, I don't know where this falls on us right now, but I just ask that you would bring us to a place of repentance. God, would you just wreck us with our sin? God, let it disturb us. Let us just not be okay with what it does to our relationship with you. God, would you bring us to repentance? God, and it's not out of your anger. It's not out of your wrath, but out of, it's out of your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance. It's because of your love. God, would you bring us back inside to the house? Help us to leave our sin completely, to leave it in the pig pen, 
so that we can have a relationship with you. God, I ask for that. I ask for boldness that you would just allow us to confess to each other and to you that we do not deserve your love and grace, but we ask for your forgiveness and that you would just continue in your faithful love. Take us back. God, take us back. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.